Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Award-winning Sophie Merman is the co-founder of the family-run store Trotters, the first one in the UK dedicated solely to children. This multi-million pound business has gone from strength to strength since opening its doors for the first time in Chelsea over 30 years ago. It now has branches across London as a firm favourite with the Duchess of Cambridge and various other very famous people. When Prince George was photographed in their shoes, their website crashed and the shoes sold out overnight. Sophie was also responsible for setting up the household brands Tyrac and Sock Shop. This is a lady we are all going to learn an awful lot from today, I'm absolutely sure. Unfortunately, only 30 minutes, but Sophie Merman, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to be with you. What, a, what a, an amazing CV, the envy of most of us. Uh, so let's start with understanding a little bit. For those who don't know Sophie Merman, uh, and we were introduced by a, by a very lovely lady who was a former podcast guest. Uh, and so your reputation, your name, and all of your personal credentials uh, precede you, Sophie. But let's just understand Sophie Merman and her past. Where have you come from? A little bit about the journey before we get into the nitty gritty. Okay, so I am, um, my, my parents are both French and I was brought up in a very much a, a fashion environment with both my parents working for themselves and working from home. Uh, my father introduced Christian Dior to the UK in the 1950s and he was the, the vice president of Dior in the UK for, for many years. Um, and my mother was a milliner. She made hats for, amongst others, the Queen, the Queen Mother, uh, Princess Diana and, and many, many uh, um, famous people and members of the royal family. Um, my, my parents, as I said, both worked from home. My mother's business was on the, the ground floor of our house in, uh, in Belgravia. Um, so I was really always brought up with a business. Uh, the business was very much part of my growing up and part of the family. So I'd come home from school and I'd normally be co-opted into tidying out the the drawer that had all the little cotton threads with a hundred different colours of cottons that my mother used to, uh, or her team used to make the hats with. Um, so I was always uh, aware of business and aware of, uh, aware of fashion growing up. Wow. I- I'm, I'm, I- I'm, I'm noting to self here, ridiculously talented family. I mean, mum, dad, uh, I don't know about brothers and sisters, but certainly um, they've passed on genetically uh, their talents to you, Sophie. Uh, sock shop, uh, Tyrac, two uh, rather famous uh, household names. How on earth do you come up with these amazing ideas and turn these things into such extraordinary businesses? Um, a little bit about sock shop and the Tyrac years, if if that's okay. Okay, so my my um, I, my training started. I actually um, I didn't go to university because family finances when I finished school were very tough. And I felt that I needed to start work pretty much immediately. Um, so I got a job in the, the typing pool at Marks and Spencer, which was not very glamorous. And I was not a very good secretary. 
mean, one day I was lucky enough to do a, a stint uh, standing in for the, the chairman secretary, who was the chairman then was Lord Seif, Marcus Seif. Um, so I, I started working for him uh, as a secretary stroke PA. And I think because I was such a bad secretary, he one day asked me what my ambition was. Um, and my ambition was definitely not to be a secretary because I, my, my bin was always the one that was the, full of, of waste paper because I just mistyped letters and it just really wasn't my forte. Um, so I told her I wanted to be the first woman on the board of Marks and Spencer, which at 19 years old was probably quite ambitious. Um, but he was fantastic, actually. He took, took it very seriously and said, well, if that's what you want to do, then you have to go and learn, learn the business. I think it was just his excuse to get rid of me as a PA, actually. Um, and he sent me off to look at various aspects of Marks and Spencer. So I looked at the, the buying, the merchandising, uh, HR, uh, store management. And he said to me, come back and let me know what areas you're interested in, what you'd like to do. And I'll see if I can help you get into those areas. So I went away, did all the various attachments, and I absolutely loved being in stores. I loved the excitement of, of retail. So I came back and said, actually, that's really what I want to do. So he said, perfect, then go, go and do the, the, uh, the, the graduate store management scheme, although I wasn't, uh, hadn't gone to university. So that was really my, my, my foothold in, uh, into shopkeeping and retailing. And he was very good, actually. He said, please, just stay in touch and let me know how you're getting on and what you're doing. And, and, and I did. I used to drop him notes with, he driven nuts, actually. Uh, used to drop him notes with various findings of, what I found in competitive stores and just generally how I was doing. Um, I found the, 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 the progress in Marks and Spencer, as in any large corporation, was very slow. And the career path with, was very well set out. And you could only climb up the ladder one rung at a time. Um, so having spent six years at Marks and Spencer, I found progress just frustratingly slow for me. And it just, I just realized that actually I wasn't a corporate a corporate person. Um, and I saw a little advert in uh, the Times newspaper, actually, and it was some financiers who were looking for somebody to set up a, a new retail business. So I applied for the role and went along for the interview. And it was the financiers behind the time rack. So they'd had the idea for the time rack, but they hadn't set the business up. So I was 24 at the time. So went along, had the interview, didn't really think I, I fancied the job. Um, so they made me an offer, which I didn't accept. And I came back with a counter offer because I said I really wasn't particularly interested in, in, uh, in joining the company. I had another offer on the table at the same time. Anyway, they, they uh, at that stage made me an offer that I really couldn't refuse. And so I started with Tyrac. Um, had no experience whatsoever of... Uh, recruiting staff, dealing with shop fitters, dealing with architects, uh, buying, merchandising. I, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. So I was really chucked down in, in, in the deep end. Um, and I joined the, the business in October and was told the first store was opening in December and everything had to be set up by then. So I, I had to really learn on the hop. I had to go to Italy and source ties, which I'd never done before. I had to deal with shop fitters, I had to deal with architects, I had to recruit staff. Um, so it was absolutely fantastic experience. Um, and it really taught me my taught me a lot of my trades. So it taught me different different things to what I'd learned from Marks and Spencer. I think Marks and Spencer and particularly Laura Seif taught me the respect 
that or the, the role that respect plays in getting other people to perform. Um, and this was a very different kind of operation. Um, so it was, so I, had, I had learned an awful lot from both. Um, so set up Tyrex, stayed there for a year and a half, opened up 15 stores in that year and a half. Um, during that time, my husband, Richard, who wasn't my husband at the time, joined uh, Tyrac as finance director. So he was the FD, I was the managing director. Um, and we, we'd had the idea for Sock Shop, and we didn't really have the same, share the same values as the finances behind Tyrac had. And therefore, we felt that it was time to move on and to do our own thing. So we moved on and opened a, a little shop in Knightsbridge Underground Station, um, taking a, a, a big risk because we both had, had high salaries. Um, so we gave all that up to open our, our first sock shop in Knightsbridge Underground Station. Wow. I, yeah, and there's a lot of people listening that will uh, that, that what you've just said will really resonate with Sophie because there are people at the moment who are in well-paid jobs and they, they fear stepping out of that financial comfort zone to do something that they may actually be very passionate about and they have a clear vision about, as, as did you and Richard at the time. I, I need to ask you, uh, the husband and wife team, that you know, you've worked together pretty much on every venture, Tyrac, Sock Shop and, and the things that you do now. Um, tell me, what's it like working with husband? I, I don't know if he's, if he's nearby and whether you can say all these things. I'm assuming it's, uh, it's a very successful partnership. So what are the secrets to longevity in a husband-wife business relationship? Uh, you absolutely have to have respect for each other um, and each other's roles. You have to have, Richard and I have very different personalities. Um, He's a pessimist, I'm an optimist, so he deals with the finance and I deal with the creative side. Um, and we just balance each other out very well. Um, but it is, it, it, you have to have that respect and that mutual respect. And we've, Richard and I have never had an argument about any business decision. Even when we've got into a, a, a sort of financial straits, we, we've always been on the same on the same page, and we've never ever, we never blame each other for a decision that's taken. Um, and I can't imagine not working with him actually. Oh, that's lovely. That's really nice to hear because it's a challenge for a lot of people. So um, that's, that's lovely that you have those kind of, uh, those rules uh, and, and mantras by which you work. Now, um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, you clearly come from a very talented family. But at the same time, to put a lot of things into perspective for people, Sophie, uh, it hasn't been easy all of the way you know it's well publicized that sock shop eventually went into administration how how do you deal with uh, the, the the things the times that uh, don't really go according to plan when the bumps in the road come along and the challenges and the obstacles uh, because it's obviously easy when things are good but when things are not so good as they are at the moment for many many people unfortunately how do you deal with the tough times Look, it's very difficult, um, and, and you, you know, I think that if one has one's own business, you just have to be, you have to be resilient, and you have to have the ability to bounce back. You just dust yourself down, hold yourself up, and start again. Uh, but it's difficult, and we went through some, some very, very uh, uh, traumatic times when we had to, uh, you know, when Stock Shop went into administration, and our staff were were made redundant. We felt terrible. You know, that staff had been with us for a long, a long time since the beginning. 
um, and that was awful because we've always uh, treated our our, our our staff as, as, as family members. So it really was a, a very tough time. And it was also made even tougher by the fact that at the time I was very high profile. There was a young woman in business. Um, I had various business awards and I was high profile. There were not many, many women in business at the time. Um, and therefore everything that, that, that I did was very much under the microscope and scrutinized by the press. Um, but thankfully I'd always had a very honest relationship with the press and therefore when times were good, uh, we were very honest with them. And when times were bad, we were equally or equally um, honest with them. And, and, and that, that really stood me in good stead uh, in difficult times. And the other thing is that we never, we never adjusted. We never changed our lifestyle. You know, it's one stage, Stockshop was worth £50 million, but that was on paper. It's not money that we had in our back pocket. Um, and therefore, we didn't buy a flash car or a flash boat. We didn't change our lifestyle. Um, and so when times were tough, we didn't, thankfully, have to gear down. But, but nevertheless, an extraordinary success. Uh, and, and let's talk about another extraordinary success, Trotters. Um, what, was the, what was the inspiration behind Trotters and setting up that business? The inspiration was um, my daughter, Natasha, who is now my uh, CRO, working with, with, uh, with Trotters, who aged three needed a new pair of shoes. So I took her to a, a shoe shop and she spent a long time choosing a very specific bright pink boot with green dots on it. It was very fancy. And she really set her heart on these shoes. So we went to the, the, the sales assistant and asked her to measure Natasha's feet. And off she disappeared to the stockroom. Ten minutes later, came out with a big pile of boxes saying, well, we haven't got what you want, but we have got all these other options. And of course, it wasn't what Natasha had set her heart on. And she was absolutely crestfallen and not being able to get these, these particular shoots. So that was just one experience that seemed unchild-friendly. And I then took my son, William, who was one and a half, to get his hair cut. And you spent the first year of a child's life saying, don't touch anything sharp, don't touch scissors. And then a perfect stranger comes up to you with a pair of scissors and gets very close up and starts cutting part of you. Um, so William made it quite clear to the hairdresser that she was not coming anywhere near him. And it was in a, a, a large department store and he had a complete wobbly. And the hairdresser did nothing to make him feel that actually it was okay and he was going to be safe or to make me feel that it was okay having a child who was screaming the place down. So it was really those two experiences um, that just seemed a very unchild-friendly uh, way of dealing with things that children, you know, children don't enjoy getting their feet measured or getting their hair cut because it's the only time in their life where a perfect stranger comes up to them and does have that very close contact with them. Um, and I just felt that there was something missing in the way children's routine was being done and sort of bring those experiences that children don't enjoy into an environment that was fun for the children. Um, on the basis that it was fun for the children, then they would bring their parents in. So when Trotters was set up um, in, in uh, 30 years old this year, so 1990, it was very much with, with my children in, or my, my experience of my children in mind um, and you know, what we could do to make the whole experience fun for children. So our hairdressing salon has a huge fish tank and the children sit in front of the fish tank to get their hair cut. And actually, my, the poor fish in each store have a, a terrible identity crisis because each child names the fish by a different name. So the hairdressers have to not only remember the child's name, but have to remember 
the name of its child caused the various fish by. Um, and then the, the, the shoe department was, uh, we, we set up as a train, so the children could sit on the train to get their feet measured. And uh, you know, children make noise in the store, they cry, they shout, they, they laugh, they, they sing, and there's no, there are no constraints. It's, it's, it, it, it's a fun environment, or it was until my shops closed 12 weeks ago. Um, so it's, you know, it's a fun environment for, for children to come into, and we very much look forward to welcoming them all back as soon as we possibly can. Oh, I'm sure they're looking forward to it too. Obviously, you you were a mum at the time, uh, juggling as many of us do parenthood with with running a business. What what advice? Since you are so well qualified to answer this, Sophie, what advice would you give to mums in particular looking to um, again may may have a desire, a wish to start their own business, but kind of thinking, do I just wait for a few years until? you know, my son, my daughter have grown up a bit, you know, what, what advice could you give to young parents looking to start a business, but just worried about the, that work-life balance? Because that really does take some, take some doing, doesn't it? It takes some juggling uh, and, 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 uh, and the juggling doesn't get any easier. So I think for me, the key was to have fantastic help at home. Um, because being a a shopkeeper, I, I had to get out into the stores and I couldn't, base myself from home. So I think that the, the, the way people are working now is very different and technology is very different than it was in, in the 1980s. Um, so for me, the important thing was to have fantastic help at home and to feel that my children were being well looked after while I was out at work. I suppose that now, in a way, it's slightly easier because a lot of the work can be done from home, but that also can be more difficult because then you've got the children around you when you're working so it is all it is all finding finding the right balance for you, um, and each person has a different way of doing that, and, and a different um, you know, each child has different requirements. Some are very easy and are happy to entertain themselves; others need entertaining, and that makes it a lot more difficult. How do you uh, you know over the last thirty years, Sophie? Have you noticed a big change in business and the way business is done? I know we we're dealing with technology. What I'm really fascinated by is how. Somebody as successful as you has never rested on their laurels. You've, you've uh, re- almost reinvented yourself, looked for new opportunities in a marketplace that's become ever more competitive. How do you go on finding ways to reinvent yourself, to find new opportunities? To You, you talk about being a positive person, but that in itself can't be enough. How, how do you go on transitioning from one place to another despite all the changes that we face in life? Uh... I've always been passionate about what I do, um, and I've always been passionate about the idea that I've had. So sock shop, I was absolutely passionate about sock shop, and I, I've, I've always loved socks. Um, and, you know, just wanted to I, – I, I, I love, I love products. I love, I love designing things and products. Um, and the same with, with trotters. I, um, the, day that, the day that I stop having ideas, I guess, is the day that I hang up my gloves. Um, but I am passionate. I've still got some ideas that I think are worthwhile. And I work very closely at the moment with my design team. So four of us work very closely together. Um, and it is just that, that, that passion for what I do. And passion for trying to get perfection, but never feeling that I've quite got there. So it's all striving for it, making, it every, making every, every step of it a little bit better and a little bit better than it was the previous season. And that's what really drives me. Now, Sophie, um, not every Sandro Forte podcast guest uh, has a member of the royal family as a fan, as an advocate of their business. So I have to ask you, 
the effect of, of, uh, of Prince George being photographed in, in your shoes, clearly that's done a favour or two in terms of business. Um, what, what does it feel like having the royal family endorsing your, endorsing your product? It's wonderful and it's a, it's a great honour. Um, and I guess because my, my, my mother had the royal connection, it's rather wonderful that actually that, 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 that connection is still there. Um, so no, we, we're always very, um, very honoured and very chuffed when, when uh, one of the royal children is, is photographed wearing our clothes. But we, you know, we treat all our customers the same way. Um, and, and for us, every customer is, is royalty. Mm. That's, a, that's a lovely answer, actually. Uh, that does explain, in some ways, why you're as successful as you are. Um, you've also been recognised, as we know, uh, with a number of awards, Verve, Clico, Businesswoman of the Year, and Motivator of the Year. Um, I can think of no better guest for a podcast that talks about success in business than by speaking today to Motivator of the Year. Tell us a little, briefly, a little bit about those awards and, and how they came about. Um, so the Vertical Award came about just after my son William was born, actually. So that was for my um, my days at Sock Shop. Um, and again, you know, I think it was just being a very high-profile woman in business. Um, so that was a wonderful award. It was really an award for my team as much as it was for me, because it's not me doing it. It is my, my, my team and I working together. Um, so I was very, very proud of that. And then the, the motivator of the year is probably the one that I was most proud about, because it came at a time when... You know, I had all this, this uh, sock shop going into administration. It was very high profile. It was sort of the headlines in all the press. Um, and it was really hard to, to keep motivated and to, it would have been much easier to go and bury myself in the country and, and, and not do anything else because it was a very bruising time. Um, but I had had the idea for Trotters and I felt it was too good an idea not to, to try out. Um, so it was really from, for the, 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 I suppose, the creation of trotters and, and coming out of one business that had got into a high-profile financial pickle. And you know, what I was saying before, to, to sort of pick myself up, dust myself down and start again. Um, so I was very, very chuffed to get that award because it meant an awful lot at a time when actually uh, it was well needed. So that was a nice, wonderful one to have. Mm. You've, you've obviously seen uh, your business come through recession in the past and you've managed to survive that, which, which many people haven't. Um, what impact do you think the, the current um, pandemic, uh, and, and it could go on for some time in, in its various guises, will have on your business? Um, I, I'm absolutely sure that you will survive this, this latest challenge. But I mean, do you see the world of business changing, Sophie, based on everything you see now. We talked before the show, didn't we, about um, our nervousness for commercial property landlords because people are now starting to discover new ways of living and working. Um, any, any immediate observations or concerns or, or indeed opportunities that come from what's going on in the yeah. world today? I think, I think the, the world has changed. I mean, it's quite extraordinary how in 12 weeks the world has changed unrecognisably um, and if you'd said to me at the beginning of March that I would be working from home and all my team would be working from home, that all my stores would be closed uh, and that we would be in this situation, I, I, I wouldn't have believed you. In fact, we had a, a crisis management with my, my leadership team and they gave me worst case scenario at the beginning of March. And there were some scenarios one, two, three and four. And when they got to the end of three, I said, 
um, I, I can't even I can't even think of it. It's just unimaginable. And actually, we got way past four and are now on a different scale. Um, so what it's done for 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 my business. Um, this Zoom conversation is extraordinary. So I'm having pretty much daily meetings with various team members. Um, we're doing our designing and our ranging on Zoom. So I'm relying on, on my team to uh, to pull everything together. Um, and it's extraordinary. So I say our six stores are closed. Um, the impact has been that our, we, have, we also have a website. Um, the impact on the website has been absolutely fantastic. So we haven't picked up all the business that we've lost in stores, but we have picked up a, a, a big portion of that online. So what it's done is project our online business forward by probably three years to what our business plan was. Um, the challenge for us is the store reopening and what that looks like, because it is the, the messages that are coming through from government are so confusing and so contradictory from one day to the next that it's very difficult to know what retailing is going to look like in the near future or in the longer term future. Uh, you know, we're looking at the moment at reopening two of our store, only two, two out of the six of our stores in mid-June. Um, and we're looking to have customers coming in by appointment. Now, a store where we would have, you know, coming, up, coming up to back to school, where we would have been absolutely heaving and families would come in as a, it was almost like a social hub. You'd come into a trotters and the mothers would all know each other, the kids would all know each other, the dogs would come in, the cats didn't come in. You know, it would be as, very much a family get-together. Um, what's that going to look like? I, I don't know. So it's a, real, it's a real challenge and it's a real uh, sort of philosophical challenge as to, as to what, what shopkeeping is going to look like over the next few years. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, you talk about, um, you know, the, the family affair, as it were. Uh, it's amazing that your children are working in the business, of course. And um, that leads to another question. You know, working with your husband's one thing, working with your offspring. Um, uh, <laughs> I, you know, and I'm, I'm currently faced with the same, uh, let's call it a dilemma, you know, where on the one hand, you want to encourage your kids to go out and find their, their way, perhaps in another business. But at the same time, you want to do everything you can to develop and nurture your children and kind of keep that protective arm around them. Uh, what, what are the particular challenges, if there are any, in terms of working with your children? And, and do you share that same conundrum that I have, which is, you know, on the one hand, I want to bring them into the business where I can take good care of them. And on the other hand, I'm a bit worried that if I do that, they just get a bit complacent and they don't really develop in the way that they would otherwise do. So this is very good, probably a, bit yeah. of a personal question, Sophie. To be honest, a very good question. So I have um, I have three children. Uh, my eldest daughter works with me in the business. As I said, my husband, my husband, my daughter, and eldest daughter, and, and I work together in the business. Uh, my son did work for me or with me for um, uh, about a year and a half, but he's now moved to Canada. He's he, uh, he's married, and his husband is in Canada, so he's moved to Canada. So he's no longer working with us. Um, and my youngest daughter um, has just come back. In fact, Thing just came back before the lockdown, um, having worked in Australia for four years. So she's just come back to the UK and she works for um, a branch of Associated British Food. So she's not working in the business. So I only have one daughter in the business. Um, but we also we recruited a, a, a CEO, um, Ed, who's been with us for nine months. 
And I, I think that when you have a child working in a business, it's very, uh, it's, it's challenging. It's lovely, it's challenging, it's wonderful, uh, and you have to get it right. The reporting is interesting because there's no question that as a parent, you do not talk to your child, however much you try, you don't talk to your child in the same way as you would do another member of your team. And your child does not talk to you in the same way as they would do their boss if it wasn't their parents. So having a CEO on board is fantastic because Natasha now reports into the CEO, works very closely with him, and that makes it much easier because our relationship is very much a parent and child relationship. Child, she's, she's 32, 33. Um, so, but it's a very different relationship to the relationship that we had when we were being parents and being bosses with her reporting directly into us. So I think that there are challenges. And she says, you know, we're all very, we're very transparent. Um, and we all say that it is much easier. And it's lovely having that parent-child relationship as opposed to parent-boss-child-employee relationship. Yes, that's very good advice, actually. Put, put someone in the middle of the sandwich. That's, the, uh, that's what you're telling us. Absolutely. And don't, don't, you, know, don't, you shouldn't be able to put a sheet of cigarette paper between a CEO and, and the founders. You have to be completely aligned with what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, good, good advice indeed. Uh, unfortunately, where, where the half hour has just gone, I have no idea. Blink of an eye and I've still got a gazillion questions in my mind to ask you. But unfortunately, I can't because we can't treat you differently to everyone else. Um, but it's been lovely speaking to you. I've got to ask you two very important questions. One is, um, for those who haven't heard of Trotters or indeed anything else that you're doing, Sophie, how do we, as an audience, uh, as subscribers, as listeners to this podcast, how do we find out more about you? Website presence, uh, social media, contact, all of those things. Um, could you point us in the right direction? Uh, www.trotters.co.uk. That's my website. Um, and if you go on there, you will see, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll learn all about the business. Fabulous. Uh, and what about you personally? Are you, do, you, are you, uh, do you shy away from social media stuff or are you, do you yeah. appear on Twitter and Instagram? and all no. That? no, good for you. No, I'm, I, I remain very, very, uh, very low key. <laughs> good for you. That's probably a good way for it to be. Um, final question, Sophie. Uh, with all of that amazing experience, and, and as I said at the beginning, what a CV. Uh, all of the, you know, the sock shop, tie rack, trotters, and everything else you've done. Um, if, whether it's Natasha or William or you know, any of your kids, if they came to you and said, right, mum, uh, you've done all these incredible things, but if you could just kind of drill it down for me and give me one single piece of advice to help me on my way in life, to discover who I am, to make the best of it, what would that one piece of advice be if it was a mantra by which they could live above all others? Do the best that you possibly can and be, and be the best that you possibly can in whatever you do. If you decide to be a road sweeper, be a fantastic road sweeper. Whatever you decide to do, just do it really, really to the best of your ability. Very good. And there's going to be lots of very well-swept roads now out in, uh, <laughs> in, in all the other countries that, uh, that follow this podcast. Um, Sophie Merman, it's been an absolute delight. Everything I heard about you is absolutely true. Thank you for finding the time, especially such a busy woman in, in the midst of, you know, all these challenges that we face. To, to squeeze this in for us is, it really is a thrill. And I'm deeply grateful for you finding the time for us and, and of course, lots of other listeners out there. 
So thank you very much indeed, Sophie Merman. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. I don't know what to say about Sophie Merman. What, what a story. So fantastic and inspiring. Each week, don't forget, we've got a new guest uh, joining us. We need well, two years now, nearly. So they continue to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. Please make sure you subscribe. Tell lots of people about it. Follow us on social media. That's Sandro's podcast. Don't forget the S in the middle. Uh, and don't forget to email us, hello at Sandro's podcast, if you've got any questions for any of the guests. Uh, to connect with me, Sandro Forte, on social media, of course and leave those reviews on iTunes. That's really, really important so we know what kind of guests you'd like in the future. Until this time next week and another fabulous guest, goodbye for now.